This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. You're listening to episode 148. E, that's awkward. Of the In Between podcast, where you'll discover the tools to build a marriage and family that you love. My name is Daniel Lim. And I'm Christina M. Well, today we are chatting with Karen Eman about how to break the pattern of people pleasing and confidently live your life. <laughs> well, as a self professing recovering people pleaser, this interview was so helpful. Mm-hmm. You know, as we enter into the holidays, there are many times we bend over backwards or say yes to many situations that we look back and wish. You know what? I really should have said no. Whether it's packing the calendar with holiday parties or hosting Christmas dinner for the family because no one else will do it. And then what will happen? This episode will help you realize if you were a people pleaser or not. Yeah, completely. This interview will also give you practical steps about how you can implement boundaries with the pushers, powders, guilt bombers, and others who try to call the shots in your life. Exactly. Well, we had Karen Eman on our podcast before as she talked about the seven ways to breathe life back into your marriage. She is also a Proverbs 31 ministry speaker and a New York Times bestselling author. She's authored 17 books and Bible studies, including the New York Times bestseller, Keep It Shut, What to Say and How to Say It and When to Say Nothing mm, at I All. I think I need that book next. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and she talks to us about her most recent book, When Making Others Happy is Making You Miserable. For all the podcast show notes, you want to visit inbetween.org slash episode 148. All right, now let's listen in. Well, Karen, thank you so much for coming back to the In Between podcast. We're so glad to have you here. Well, thank you for asking me back. Well, last time we interviewed you, this was a few years back, we were actually talking about marriage. And this time we're going to be talking about when making others happy is making you miserable. Can I hear a little amen? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So we want to know too, why did you write your newest book? Well, people pleasing is something I have struggled with my whole life. Even when I was young and a girl in school, I wanted my teachers to be pleased with me. I wanted the kids on the playground to like me. And it just fell into a pattern in my life that carried on into adulthood. But after a couple decades of adulthood, I finally realized that I had let my plate get so full because I was just too afraid to say no to people. And I was living my life based on the opinions and expectations of others. And I came to a point about four years ago where I just hit a wall. My dad had passed away, so I was grieving that. We had just moved to a new town to be closer to my dad. Mm. And so I was getting to know this new town. And I just asked or was asked a simple ask by a friend. And I said yes to it, but I knew I should have said no. And it was like suddenly I just, it was like the straw that broke the camel's back. And I Mm. knew that something needed to change because I was starting to have physical manifestations of the stress from overcommitment in my life. My left eye was twitching. My Mm. brain was racing. I couldn't sleep at night. And I knew something had to change because 
it was doing harm to me and it wasn't helping me and it wasn't helping the people in my life either. Mm. Yeah. So when you're saying that you just realized this a few years ago, do you think looking back now on your life, there were other signs that were sort of kind of tra- trying to tap you on the shoulder saying, Karen, maybe, maybe you need to learn a little bit about boundaries and saying no. Yeah, I think there were signs, but I always could explain them away, oh. explainology, right? <laughs> and I think, I think especially with Christians, it's almost like in our defense, it's a strength that gets carried to an extreme. Wow. And now it's not a strength anymore, it's a weakness, or like we like to say at our house, a non-strength. Mm. So Christians are supposed to be loving, we're supposed to be helpful, we're supposed to be servant-hearted. Mm-hmm. And all of those things are wonderful if God is bringing the opportunities to us but where we get tripped up is when we are over-serving and over-committing, you know, committing, not because we feel like God's calling us to do it, but because the person standing in front of us or on the other end of the cell phone, if we're texting or the other end of the computer, if we're emailing, they expect us to say or do certain things. And now we're taking our marching orders from them rather than God. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm a self-recovering people pleaser. I would say um, it was I was an addict. And so I'm always continuing in that self-recovering people pleaser uh, point. And at one point in my life, honestly, Karen, I wore that as a badge of honor. And I wonder, too, as you were talking, if that really was, I don't know if it was necessarily said like outward and in words, but maybe it's kind of what I felt like growing up in the church, that um, you were given more opportunity. People even said that they appreciate you or love you more, or like, I can see Jesus in you. Um, And those things feel good, right? So what would you say to people who've never actually seen people pleasing as a pattern that needs to be broken? That eventually, if they haven't gotten there yet, which I finally got there, It's exhausting. Mm. It's exhausting trying to keep up that game. And really, we don't recognize it. We think we're being, you know, helpful or confident, conscientious, all these things, you know, because people, people please for different reasons. Some of us are achievers and the ultimate achievement is having everyone like us. Some of us are peacemakers and we just don't want there to be any awkwardness or tension. So we give in to go along. Some of us are perfectionists and To us, perfection is no drama. So we just do what people want us to. So we people please for a lot of different reasons, but eventually it becomes exhausting. It does. Just trying to make everyone else's happiness be our assignment, it's totally exhausting. And what we don't see is we might think we're being loving. We might think we're being servant-hearted. We might think we're being helpful. And we are. Mm -hmm. We have good motives. But when we run around and do everybody's bidding and put their opinions and expectations of us over God, we're putting people in the place of God. We're making an idol out of people's opinions. Mm, That's so, that's so powerful, Karen. And it's interesting because for Christina and I, we don't really know what life looks like uh, if, you know, for non-people pleasers. (laughs) So, (laughs) so this question kind of has two (laughs) angles to it. Uh, Number one, what does it look like when you've actually fully broken free from this, right, from people pleasing. So that's that's on the one end to help folks like us. Uh, but then for folks like us, like, yeah, what does life feel and look like if you're not a people pleaser? Just to give us some perspective. Well, when I first broke free about four years ago, first of all, I want to be totally honest and say it was hard. Mm. It was awkward. 
I actually felt God calling me to a season of what I called necessary and no. I did only what was necessary for my family, my home, and my my job, my ministry. And I said no to everything else. Mm-hmm. I backed out of everything. I cleared off my plate. And for three glorious months, I did nothing outside my home. And mm-hmm. it was wonderful. But it was very hard. It was hard because I had taught people how to treat me. I had taught them, you got a job you need done, Karen's your girl. She's mm-hmm. hardworking, she's helpful, and she's fast, and she'll get it done. And it was getting so exhausting <laughs> keeping up that that way of living that when I finally started to do it and the awkwardness wore off a little and I got a little better at it, I thought, oh, hey, I have a few minutes to myself in my day. Mm-hmm. It was wonderful because I, I was freeing up time to just be, to just do nothing or to spend time with God yeah. instead of like hurrying through spending time with God because I had six other things I'd said yes to. Right. So it was very foreign, but I don't ever want to go back. And the second part of your question, you know, what does it look like for someone who's not a people pleaser? I just feel like the word that comes to my mind is confidence. Mm-hmm. I feel like they are more confident in living their life because they know they're getting their marching orders from God, not from everyone else. So they don't have this second guessing that goes on all the time. Right. And two, I also feel that... Um, they think differently when asked to take on a responsibility rather than thinking, oh, what does this person want me to say? They think instead, what does God want me to do? And so it's just a a whole different way of thinking. And I just don't, my friends who are not people pleasers, I just see this confidence about them that they're living God's agenda for their life. Mm. They don't really care if you approve or not. Whereas those of us that are tripped up more by people pleasing, we're constantly like, we want to live God's will for our life and his agenda but then we're checking around going, but is that okay with you? Yeah, mm-hmm. is that okay with you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's exhausting. Yeah, it's exhausting yeah, right. to right. live that way. Yeah. Can you uh, bring us into that moment for you when you said, okay, here are the here here was that year that was difficult and, and I had to make these decisions. How, like, how did you know which decisions to make? Uh, and perhaps for those who are listening in and they're like, yeah, I, I don't, I want to live according to what God's agenda is for me, not what other people are. And, and I understand why that would be a good way to live, you know, up here. I, 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 I know that, but I, how do you translate that into action? How do you translate that down to your heart and your soul? Well, it was really hard at first. It was really hard. And I had to get more familiar with it and more comfortable with saying no. Mm-hmm. But once I did, it was just, I don't know, it was just so freeing to not be always second guessing myself And it made me stop just that letting my thoughts go, oh, but what do they want me to do? And oh, but if I say, you know, because I used to always worry there's going to be this awkwardness if I said no to a friend. Like Mm -hmm. I have to say yes to them. They're Mm -hmm. my friend. And so I would say yes when I really in my heart wanted to say no. But I really learned a big lesson that you can say no to a friend, but still say yes to the friendship. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that your friendship's over. You can say, hey, I'm not your girl, I'm not your guy, I can't do this ask that you've asked me, but I'll be praying that you find the right person. I can help you brainstorm who might be the right person. Mm-hmm. You can check on them later and see how their project's going. You can still say a hearty yes to the friendship, but say no to that specific request from a friend. And learning to live that way has been so freeing because, again, I'm not second-guessing myself. Right. I'm not always wondering and worried what everyone's going to think. I only need to please an audience of one. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm preaching to myself on that one because I don't always do it automatically now. Yeah. But I know the more I do it and the more I care what God thinks and what his will is mm-hmm. in this situation, his plan is, his his 
you know, whatever he's taught me through scripture and through prayer, when I do that more, I'm less concerned what other people think. Because mm-hmm. if they don't approve, right. that's not my problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's right. not my assignment to make sure everybody in my life approves of everything I do. It's my assignment to make sure God approves of what I'm doing. Right. Yeah. yeah. But there's but there's but there's still that sting of rejection. Right. Especially when you see their face. And I, and I guess when you're saying no, you're kind of rejecting them, but, but the, <laughs> they can reflect that back and, and they might, you know, unfortunately, we've seen this in the last couple of years, mm-hmm. cut people off or be like, well, I can't be your friend. And, yeah, you know, these are like, like long canceled. time. Yeah, yeah. completely. Right. With this no. cancel culture. Mm-hmm. So how do you yeah. deal with the, the, that? Yeah. Yeah. So here's what I have found has been the best. Grandma and mama were right or grandpa, grandpa and daddy, honesty is the best policy. Mm. I have learned to just say what I'm thinking in my head out loud instead of going one of two extremes, which sometimes we just say, no, can't do that. And it kind of comes across real harsh, like you don't care about their request. Mm-hmm. Or the opposite extreme, which is what I usually do, is to over-explain and just give all these different excuses. Oh, I got this going Tuesday. I got this going Thursday. And you're just, you know, you're taking all this time. And um, you're over explaining it rather than that, just be honest and say, you know what? Everything within me right now wants to say yes, because Mm -hmm. I love you. You're my friend. Mm -hmm. I don't want there to be awkwardness in our friendship going forward. But I got to tell you, when I look at the reality of my schedule right now, I just don't have the bandwidth. I just, I can't say yes. So as much as my heart wants to say yes, I'm going to have to say no. Or if it's a bigger project to say, I would love to be involved in this. I love this type of project, this is totally in my wheelhouse. I get super excited thinking about being involved in it, but I just don't have the capacity right now. And so if I say yes, it's actually going to be a detriment because I can't give it the focus and the attention it deserves. Mm. So it's going to be in your best interest that I say no. Right. Just be yeah. honest okay. with them and, and yeah. affirm the friendship and say, you know, I hesitate saying no because I don't want it to hurt our friendship. Mm. We can say those things out yeah, loud. Yeah. Right. That's good. Karen, it sounds to me like I'm picturing myself as as the friend who is hearing you say this. And it sounds to me like it would be great to be like a face-to-face conversation or on the phone. Is that something that you recommend? Because sometimes it's just easier to say no, like via text. But are we going to miss yeah. some of that? Yeah, I think... For sure in person or at least on the phone. Because okay. no matter how many emojis we add to things, <laughs> yeah. it's still hard. You know, when you text, there have been times I've gotten text messages from people and I'm like, they are ticked off at me. Mm-hmm. And then when I see them, they're fine. And I'm like, were you mad at me to send that? Oh, no, I was just in a hurry. You know, yeah. so there's a lot yeah. of things that we don't know yeah. through text messaging right. and email. So I think it is better if they can hear your voice and even better if they can see you and hear your voice. Okay. Yeah. Well, might have to put my brave on and <laughs> call a person. <laughs> I hear you. I can see how that would go much better for sure. Now, Karen, is there ever a time that it is right to people, please? And how do we know when to say yes and when to say no? Yes. So I certainly don't want it to sound like I'm just like the big book of no. Like, (laughs) let's just say no to everybody. Yes, there are times that we are called to please others. Children are called to obey their parents and please their parents. We're called to please our spouse. Mm-hmm. We're called to please authority. We're called to be all people or all things to all people to try to win others to Christ. I mean, there are certainly times that it's good and okay to please others. And there are times that pleasing other people does please God. But when the rubber meets the road is when we know God is calling us to do or not do something. Mm -hmm. And someone else wants us to have the opposite (laughs) uh, answer. And those two things are at 
you know, clashing. Let's say God's really called you in this season to be at home in the evenings because you can tell one of your kids is really struggling mm-hmm. with their homework and you, they need extra time. Or maybe one of your kids is struggling emotionally and they just need mom and dad around more. And you've just said, you know what? For the next couple of months, we're just not going to do stuff outside the home. But then somebody comes along and, I don't know, they're having a Tupperware party Mm. or whatever. (laughs) And they really want you to come, you know? And it's really going to please them because they're they're going to win that hostess gift or whatever. (laughs) Not that I'm against any of those things. Those things are all fun. They're all fun. But, you know, pleasing them won't please God because you know he's already called you to be at home during this time. Mm. So when they're they're in conflict with one another, we need to choose pleasing God. But the, yes, there are certainly times with when what we do to please other people is pleasing to the Lord as well. Right. Yeah. Karen, you've said a lot about like what call, God is calling us to do and listening to Him. We have um, listeners from all different like backgrounds and journeys of faith of finding Jesus and even continuing to learn how to listen to his voice and and discern what he's calling us to do. Um, how have you been able to to know what God is calling you to do. Yeah, that can sound like such a mysterious thing. And I think sometimes we make it more mysterious <laughs> than, than we really need to. But it just is like being with a friend. You know, if you mm-hmm. want to know what your friend thinks, you spend time with them. Right. You get to know them. You listen to them. You know, if they've written you a letter, you read it. Well, God's written us a letter, the Bible. Mm-hmm. We can read it. You know, we can pray and we can talk to other people who do follow God and see, you know, what they might think about the same situation that that we're in and what they might suggest that we do, getting kind of some wise counsel from them. There are a lot of different things we can do that are two-way, you know, both asking of God, but but then also hearing from him. And primarily he speaks through his word. So we get a Bible, get our hands on it or an online version of it and Mm -hmm. crack it open. Yeah. The wait is over. Find out what happens in the thrilling conclusion of the 12th Dead Sea Squirrels book, Babylon Breakout. Hi, I'm Mike Naraki, co-creator of VeggieTales, voice of Larry the Cucumber, and author of The Dead Sea Squirrels. Get ready for more daring rescues and hilarious jokes as Merle and Pearl and their animal friends embark on a ridiculous mission to bust the kidnapped Gomez family out of Babylon, a Bible-themed amusement park with talking animals. Young readers will love the nutty misadventures of 10-year-old Michael and his friends and will learn all about biblical life lessons such as forgiveness and friendship. Read all 12 Dead Sea Squirrels books. Available wherever books are sold. Such a good, that's that's such a good way of explaining it, Karen. We really appreciate that. Well, you know, there's a statement in your book that puts people pleasing into a completely different light. Yeah, it made me cringe, actually. <laughs> uh, you say people pleasers often lie. People pleasers often lie. Can you explain what you meant by this? Well, I think we need to end the interview right now. I've run out of time. <laughs> you can yeah, say it wasn't oh, your quote. It was your, a quote yeah. you heard, right? Uh, Blame that person. <laughs> well, you know, you guys, I, I'm laughing about it, but really, I can honestly remember when this reality hit me, where I was, what I was wearing even. I was sitting in church mm-hmm. one Sunday morning in the auditorium listening to a sermon I was rather enjoying until my pastor kind of wandered off on this tangent. He started talking about people-pleasing. And he just made this off-the-cuff statement. He said, people-pleasers often lie. And I'm telling you, it was like those spotlights that are affixed to the ceiling and usually pointing at the stage. It was like they all drop swiveled and were pointing on me. Mm. And everybody knew he was talking about me because I had to be honest and say that, you know, there's oftentimes that lying or telling a half-truth 
and not telling the whole truth and nothing but the truth is involved with people pleasing. Mm. And as I tell my kids, a half truth is still a whole lie, mm. but we, we lie for a lot of reasons, you know, because we don't want to hurt someone's feelings because we're afraid of their reaction. So yes, when we say yes to something, we really feel like we're supposed to say no to that's a disconnect. Mm. That's deception. That's a lie. As much as we might want to dress it up and say, well, we're doing it for their own good. Really, when we're not being completely truthful, we're lying. And mm. so much of people pleasing is deception. And is in the Old Testament, when I studied it for the book, there's this concept in the Old Testament of having a double heart. And that's a person that has two hearts. One heart is visible to the outside and mm. they think it's true, but then there's the real heart inside. And we're not supposed to have a double heart. We need to tell the truth. It's hard though. In in the New Testament, the second half of the Bible, there's a verse in Ephesians 4.15 that talks about speaking the truth in love. And whenever there's two things like that that are kind of opposite of each other Mm -hmm. or seem to have a little tension between them, I feel that people, depending on their personality, go one of two extremes. Either they bark out the truth in an unloving manner or... They think the only loving thing to do is to not tell the truth at all. Mm. Uh, we can learn to let those things hold hands. We can learn to tuck a hard truth right. in an envelope of kindness and not be false and deceptive anymore. Wow. Well. I have a lot to learn in that. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So where do I... Okay, Karen. So I'm hearing this and even for myself, okay, how? Do, where do I start yeah. with that? Yeah. Is it a conversation I have? Is it a journal entry that I need to walk through? Is it a counseling session I need to go to? Um, where do we start? Well, for me, it started with memorizing some verses in scripture. I actually have a bunch of them printed out in the book about having a double heart, about being truthful, about deception about those things. And then when I'm tempted to open my mouth and say something that's not true, that verse pops back into my mind. And I think, no, I'm not going to do this. Mm. I'm going to learn to bravely say, you know, I, I really don't want to say this because I, I fear it might offend you. But I know that if I were in your shoes, I would want someone to tell me the, the truth. Mm. No, I don't think that sweater looks good on you. Instead of going, oh, yeah, it looks great. You know? <laughs> Because we don't, we just are so afraid of their reaction. But I think that that we've gotten it all backwards. We think they're going to react to the words or they're going to react to the no or they're going to react to the truth. Mm -hmm. But I feel like they react more to our demeanor and our heart. Mm -hmm. So when we say, you know, I I really fear saying anything because I don't want to offend you because I treasure our friendship so much, Mm -hmm. but X, Y, Z, I feel like they hear that first part more. And then they're more readily able to hear the second part. I have a friend. I always tease that I have a love-hate relationship with her. But she tells me some pretty hard truths. I mean, when I go to her, all wham, 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 because my husband and I had a fight, she almost always takes his side. (laughs) She helps me to see his perspective. But you know what? I know that I know that I know that she has my best interest at heart, Mm. that she loves me, that she wants my marriage to be good, that she wants my life to be happy. And so when she tells me something that's a little hard to hear, I know she's not doing it to be mean. I know she's not doing it to make herself look better. She truly thinks this will help me. So Mm -hmm. I welcome those things from her. Yeah. Well, Karen, that's even a sense of maturity as well, really, of being on the receiving end of a no or of a a very truthful statement that stings. Um, And 
like you're giving your friend the benefit of the doubt, knowing that she loves you and is for you. I think that's really wise because maybe we're on the opposite end of we're always the ones that are hoping or even expecting people to say yes to us. Maybe it's our personality. We're very bubbly or we're very demanding. And maybe it's time to look even introspectively of like, am I giving people the benefit of the doubt? Do I have friends that I know have my back? And if not, maybe it's time to find out why or to even pray for relationships or invest into relationships where we have that. So I love that you were saying. Yeah. You know, Karen, in chapter three of your book, love the title of the chapter, (laughs) pushers, powders, guilt bombers, and others who try to call the shots. (laughs) Uh, Would you be able to explain those categories and, and maybe share some practical steps that we can take to implement boundaries with each of these categories? Yeah. So a, a pusher, they push. We've probably all had a pusher in our life. They're dominant. They're controlling. They get their way by stomping their foot. You don't want to make them mad. So you just give in and do what they ask. Well, a powder, the next category of people, they don't stomp their foot to get their way. They drop their smile mm. and you just don't want to make them mm. sad, you know? And it's especially hard if there's somebody that really has had a lot of hard things in their life, a lot of sorrow in their life. Mm. That's even harder because mm. you don't want to add to that sorrow. So sometimes you just Go along with what they want just because you don't want them to drop their smile. And then we have the guilt bombers. And we've probably all had a guilt bomber in our life a time or two. You know, they make you feel like, oh, I just have to do this because you feel guilty because maybe they don't have as much money as you or as big a house as you and, or, you know, biggest backyard for the family cookout or whatever. And they can kind of just say a little something. It's like, well, of course I'd have it at my house if I'd have had a big backyard, but since I don't, and you're like, oh, now I feel guilty for having a big backyard. <laughs> <laughs> whatever it is, you know, they can just drop this bomb of guilt on right. you. And sometimes it's overtly through their words and sometimes it's just subtly, yeah. and, but you feel guilty. So you give in. And then there's another category that I actually found was the category of people I had the hardest time with in my life. I call them me first maximizers. Mm. And a me first maximizer is a person that somehow is just super clever. Uh, They may be very friendly and appear to be helpful and hardworking, and they are. But wherever there's a scenario where one person is going to get the short end of the stick, um, they make sure it's never them. (laughs) And so everything changes compared or depending on where they're at in the situation. For example, I just had recent experience with the me first maximizer. I was on the phone with somebody and uh, someone else called in and I said, oh, I've got to take this call. Uh, You know, hang on a second. And I took the call and I came back and they said, that is so rude for you to switch off and take someone else's call. That is so rude. You were talking to me and I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. Okay. Sorry. Sorry about that. Well, then I'm not kidding. It was like two weeks later, I was on the phone with someone else and that person called me and I ignored the call because it's rude, right? It's rude to switch over. It's rude to switch over. I ignored the call. I finished for 10 minutes and then I called that person back and said, hey, sorry, I was on the phone with someone else. And they're like, well, I think that's very inconsiderate of you that you couldn't click off for two seconds to tell me you were going to call me back. And I thought, no, wait a minute. But see, that's that's a me first maximizer. Wherever they're at, in the situation, they come out on top. Wow. And I was involved actually in a business deal for a couple of years with somebody that I always got the most work. I always got the short end of the stick or or they would split the work up evenly, but I got all the yucky stuff and they got all the fun stuff. Mm. And I finally had to just be honest and say, this isn't working. Yeah. I love you, you know, and I think you're a wonderful person, but I'm tired of 
being treated unfairly and I'm not going to do this anymore. And so with these different people, we have to be careful that we know kind of where they're coming from. Like you wouldn't approach somebody that is real dominant and needs a, a real stiff boundary and a, a very, you know, overt, I'm not going to take this anymore. You're not going to approach that person the same way that you would approach somebody who is a little more sorrowful and you don't want to mm. contribute to their sorrow, but they're still manipulating you. They're still kind of twisting you with their feelings. Mm. So you have to really know the person you're talking to, but be clear. Boundaries are, are clear and they have consequences. So if you cross the line, here's what's going to happen. Okay. And just do it lovingly. And I also feel the last thing I'll say is that it's really important to know with boundaries that when there is a conflict that you sometimes make the people understand that you're leaving the premises right now, or you're leaving the conversation right now, but you're not leaving the relationship. You still love them That's and you're really still going to hang in there with them. But right now I just need some time. I need to pull back. Yeah. No, that's really, really good. I appreciate that. Mm. So Karen, for our last question, we have a lot of uh, parents who listen in and have kids of all different ages. For those who are recovering people pleasers like myself, but are not wanting to pass that on to their kids, right? Of How do we start to teach them boundaries that they don't feel, the kids don't feel like they need to bend over backwards, either to please the parents or to please their friends? I think you just invite them into the process and let them see what God's doing in your life. You know, mm -hmm. tell them, you know, Mrs. So-and-so just called and really wants me to, I don't know, bake cookies for the toddler church, you know, the toddlers at church. But you know what? I've looked and I've done that every single month for the last year and I need a break. And there are some people at church that haven't done it at all. So I don't really want to hurt her feelings, but I'm going to tell her no. Mm -hmm. And so then when they have a situation in their life, where there might be tempted to people, please, you can say, you know what this reminds me of? Remember when Mrs. So-and-so yeah. asked me to bake cookies because she knows I'll always say yes because I've taught her how to treat me. She knows, oh, I'll call her because she's going to say yes. Remember mm. that? I feel like the same things kind of happen in here. Do you really feel like this is something that you want to do or that you think maybe God would want, God would want you to do? Or do you think you just want to do it because you want that person to be your friend? Because mm. right. that's how I felt with Mrs. So-and-so. So like invite them into what's happening with you and then kind of help transfer it into what's going on in their life. Yeah, yeah. I love that. That's such a good word. Well, Karen, thank you so much for being on the podcast with us. Karen Eman is the author of uh, 17, I think 17 books. That's incredible. Wow, you go, Karen, girl. you're incredible. Yeah. What? No, 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 come on. This is what I say. I think writing books is just talking on paper and I could talk all day. Long. So, in fact, you know, my husband always teases that if I pass away before he does, he's going to put a period on my tombstone. Because I finally don't talk. That is awesome. Well, your newest book is When Making Others Happy is Making You Miserable, How to Break the Pattern of People-Pleasing and Confidently Live Your Life. If our podcast family wants to uh, pick up a copy of this book and also connect with you, where is the best place for them to do that? They can go to my website, KarenEman.com, and Eman is spelled E-H-M-A-N. And my blog is there and then all my social media handles are there as well. And they can just kind of pop around from there. I'd love to connect with them. Awesome. Well, thank you so much.
Well, we hope you enjoyed today's episode with Karen Eamon. If there's someone that came to mind as you were listening in, we'd be honored if you would share this episode with them. You can either text them in between.org slash episode 148, or you can just hit the share button on your favorite podcasting app and send the link over to them as well. We'll catch you next time.